0: Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. With the goal of educating and empowering women, each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello friends and welcome back to the As A Woman podcast. This week we are talking about your hormones and understanding them. Just a basic review of how your hormones work and what that means to have your hormones balanced or not balanced or what each of them actually do and mean. So that is what we are going to do, a deep dive. You know I am very passionate about you understanding your body and your hormones are the basic building blocks that control how your body works. Before we dive into that... We are going to talk about this week's Fertility in the News, which is something I have personal experience with. So this is an article in The Cut in New York Magazine. Would you work in an Amazon warehouse just to get pregnant? Women are pulling graveyard shifts and backbreaking jobs to pay for IVF. Y'all, I'm a fertility doctor here in Austin. There is an Amazon here and I have had patients get jobs in the Amazon warehouse for this reason. So this is a really personal thing. So let's dive into what this says. So now we know that many fertility benefits are offered as a benefit package for certain employers and Amazon is definitely one of those. Another notorious one is Starbucks. And people are finding out in Facebook groups and then applying for these jobs, often as second line jobs or night shift jobs or really odd hours in order to be able to tap into the benefit program. One of the interesting things here is how benefits currently work is for the most part, the benefit has to be in the female partner, even if there's male factor in fertility. So it's not that you can have your male partner, if that applies, or your partner in general, go get fertility benefits and apply those. That will work if you're on that benefit plan as a primary. But for the most part, it has to be your own benefits. So these Facebook groups, full of different people. There are 9,000 people in the Starbucks group and 3,000 in the Amazon page. And these are specific pages for people looking to get benefits and getting these jobs for that sole reason. So this is really interesting in this article. They spoke with 14 current and former Amazon warehouse workers, all of them who only applied for the benefits. Most of them said they were in constant physical pain and mental distress. During shifts where they spent between 10 to 11 hours on their feet, picking up, inspecting packages, they could weigh up to 200 pounds. And so there were even people who had careers, a nursing student, a marine biologist. They put their careers on hold in order to have these jobs working graveyard shifts. And then sometimes they would go to day jobs like being a mail carrier or a teacher in order to get by. So this is the work that they were doing in order to get benefits to qualify for fertility treatments and as a fertility doctor this is exactly what we don't want people doing when they're going through fertility treatment we don't want you working 24/7 never sleeping being extra stressed physically challenging your body lifting all this weight like that's not what we actually want and that's not what's best for you This article does a great job also talking about the discrepancy in insurance benefits. Only certain jobs offer fertility benefits as a luxury package to try to attract employees. However, it's very unfair because infertility is a medical diagnosis. Just imagine if your insurance company got to decide if they were going to allow you to get treatment for your broken leg or your cancer. This is what happens in the insurance world when it comes to fertility. Only 17 states have laws that protect mandating coverage for IVF treatment. Only 40% of companies with at least 20,000 staffers have benefits for fertility. And only about 20% of those actually cover egg freezing because they consider egg freezing or fertility preservation not to be infertility. And so they very often do not cover them. Now, workplaces that do provide benefits, this can be a huge attraction point, but it also can cause people to feel stuck at their job. And one of the reasons why Amazon is so attractive is that it's relatively easy to get a job as a warehouse worker, background check and a drug test, and your insurance coverage starts on day number one. So if we compare to other places, you might have to work there for 60 or 90 days or six months before you get benefits or take interviews or pass other rounds. Amazon essentially is going to let you in. And so it might wreck you mentally, physically and emotionally. Somebody actually is quoted saying she worked at multiple companies to fund three rounds of IVF, scrambling during rush hour at Starbucks or lugging 50 pounds of animal feed at a tractor supply store is nothing like the pain and torture of Amazon. So not everybody has an Amazon horror story and certainly i have had patients who worked in their warehouse and they now have a baby to show for it. So I don't want to act like this is a bad thing, companies providing fertility benefits, but instead I do think it's really eye opening How discrepant this is, meaning not everybody gets access to these benefits and really just shows what people will do and what extent they'll put their body through in order to be able to have access to care. Infertility does not discriminate. And really, we need to be advocating for care for all. I'll be honest that I'm fearful, as are many other fertility doctors, that we're going to see even further limitations since the Dobbs decision and the reversal of Roe v. Wade, meaning it will be even harder and harder to get pregnant or get access to fertility care in some states. And that's a very scary thing. I'm glad that Amazon and Starbucks and other companies offer fertility benefits, but we really need more commercial insurances and more people to offer benefits so that people don't feel like they have to work a second job, stay up all night, stocking shelves in the warehouse. That should be a huge red alarm to what people are doing in order to just get access to care. It's a great article. Definitely recommend that you read it. Okay, now we are going to dive into your hormones and what this episode is all about. I am so excited to talk to you about the basic building blocks of your body. First of all, let's just think about what hormones are. Hormones are proteins that are made from our endocrine glands and they control our entire body. Your hormones work together and your organs work by interpreting hormones and then changing their secretion and response. So the brain is really the control center. It takes feedback from the rest of the body and then it sends out new control signals based on what's coming in. So just truly think of it as the control center. It is interpreting signals and it is sending out signals. I've said before, the brain is blind or it's in a different room. It has no idea what is actually going on at the different organ levels. So it doesn't know what your adrenal glands are doing or your ovaries or your uterus or anywhere. It can only tell the signals that it's given. So we'll use the ovaries because that's an easy example for most of my listeners. So estrogen is made from the ovary. The brain can interpret the estrogen level and then it'll know, hey, we need more or less of that. And it will change the secretion of its hormones based on that. Same thing for the thyroid, same thing for the adrenal glands. So the body is trying to keep things in what we call homeostasis, which is a state of balance. The body does not want to be stressed. It wants to be perfectly balanced. This is almost never achieved. So just to understand when people say, I need to balance my hormones. Your hormones don't work that way. Your body is a living, breathing thing that changes every single day in response to your world and your environment. And your needs are different when you wake up and in the middle of the day and when you go to bed. So in understanding that concept is important. Can your hormones be unbalanced? Well, yes, but what we really mean is your body can have an abnormal response or your end organs are not making the right amount of hormones and therefore your brain is trying really hard to get that to happen. So sometimes there's disconnect between these organs and that's true hormone imbalance. But really what happens most of the time when people say their hormones are not balanced, is that their end organs are not making hormones in the right way for some reason. And their brain is showing us signs of that based on how it is responding. So remember that the body trying to be in homeostasis just wants to metabolize its food, have enough energy to maintain your weight and keep your life nice and happy. Now, when you're stressed for a variety of reasons, your body responds appropriately and it's meant to do this. Oh my gosh, there's a bear. Your body is now built to see the stressor, and your hormones should all change because now you don't need to digest food or get pregnant. Now you need all your energy to go to your muscles and your heart and your lungs so you can run fast from the bear to live. And that's a diversion of energy that should be short term. When you're chronically stressed and your brain hormones are diverted all the time and your adrenal glands are making a lot of cortisol, you are imbalanced. And so we do see that the modern world does tend to leave us in a state of not being in homeostasis. And so when I talk to patients who feel fatigued or who are not feeling well, part of what we're really trying to accomplish is getting back to that state where we have less chronic stress and we have less inflammation and we're trying to achieve that state of balance or homeostasis. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Caraway. Spring is coming and I always love a good home reset. Non-toxic cookware is the perfect way for you to kick off your own spring cleaning. With so many collections to explore, there is a Caraway for every cook. Their internet famous kitchenware is a staple for any home. It comes with beautiful shades to fit your aesthetic, but most importantly, you're ditching the chemicals. Caraway's non-toxic kitchenware Comes a chemical-free ceramic coating, so your food can be prepared without any of those hard-to-pronounce chemicals leaching in to your healthy ingredients. Everybody knows that I am a big believer that our environment impacts our body, and that's why I trust Caraway with my cooking. Visit CarawayHome.com/AAW to take advantage of this limited-time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners. So visit carawayhome.com slash A-A-W or use the code A-A-W at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware, made modern. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Rocket Money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about? Embarrassingly, I am one of those as well. And Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you that otherwise could have been a time-consuming process. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it can be never-ending. So Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. They monitor your spending and help you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com/aaw. That's rocketmoney.com/aaw. rocketmoney.com/aaw. The brain is really the control center. So to understand the brain, there's two main parts that you need to get. One is called the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus is truly what is interpreting from the world around you. So it is then going to send out signaling hormones that go to the pituitary gland. The pituitary gland is a little stalk-like protrusion off the brain that is truly the control center for most of the hormones in the brain. So it then is going to send out hormones directly to go to your other end organs to get them to make further hormones. So let's think about some of our organ systems. So we have the hypothalamus sends out something called thyroid releasing hormone or TRH, which goes to the pituitary gland to send out thyroid stimulating hormone or TSH, which then works on the thyroid. The thyroid is a butterfly shaped gland in the neck and it makes thyroid hormone. Thyroid hormone is T4 and T3. And that is what your body needs. Your body needs these thyroid hormones to have a ton of basic, metabolism and your brain interprets if you have enough t3 and t4 and when you do it says yay we're happy sends out just enough trh to keep the thyroid sending out just the same level of tsh so think of it like a circuit now when your thyroid gland stops producing thyroid hormone as well as it should so one of the top reasons is an autoimmune disease called hashimoto's thyroiditis so now your thyroid gland is under attack Your thyroid gland is under attack, and so it is not making enough thyroid hormone, T4 or T3. The brain then can tell oh my gosh, Nat doesn't have enough T4 and T3. I'm gonna send out an increase in TRH because I need to get that pituitary gland to talk to that thyroid better. They need to get their act together. The pituitary then sends out an increase in TSH to stimulate the thyroid to make more thyroid hormone. Maybe the thyroid can and maybe it can't. So one of the hallmarks of autoimmune disease is the thyroid cannot keep up with the brain demand because it's under attack. Therefore, we often come in and we have to supplement with thyroid hormone, which is Synthroid or Levothyroxine. Therefore, the brain will send out less TSH because it's happy. It's getting enough circulating thyroid hormone to meet its needs because you are taking a pill and that is okay. Sometimes we can improve the function of our glands. So in this example, when you have Hashimoto's, if you can decrease the antibodies or the attack on the thyroid, you may be able to help it. And so decreasing inflammation or decreasing stress may be helpful in some of these autoimmune diseases. And I'm gonna to touch on decreasing inflammation at the end. Another hormone system is going to be your adrenal glands. And this is your classic flight or flight system that I mentioned earlier. So in the brain, you have the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland again. The hypothalamus sends off CRH or corticotropine releasing hormone, which talks to the pituitary gland to have the pituitary send off ACTH. And ACTH is the main driver that talks to the adrenal glands to make cortisol. Now, the adrenal glands do some other things too. They make epinephrine and they make some vasopressin and some other things that are important, but for the time being, let's just talk about this pathway. Cortisol is a hormone made from the adrenal glands to tell your brain we are under attack. And this is going to help your body shunt activity to deal with the stressor. Now, again, you're running from a bear, that's one thing. If you're living in a famine and there's no food, that's a very different level of chronic stress, right? That's completely different when you have chronically elevated high cortisol levels. That cortisol isn't going to feed back to the brain, and it's going to change how the brain sends out other hormones as well. So the stress response system is so important. If the brain says, oh my gosh, we are under major attack, our cortisol is so high, this is not a good time to get pregnant. What do you think it does? It's going to tell the pituitary gland that because the pituitary gland Controls so many different organ systems, including the reproductive system. And so it is suddenly now going to say, we should not get pregnant. And now you're going to see a change in secretion of our reproductive hormones. So the reproductive system is also controlled this way. The hypothalamus sends off GNRH, which is gonadotropin releasing hormone. Your gonadotropins are released from the pituitary gland, and that is FSH or follicle stimulating hormone and LH, or luteinizing hormone. These two hormones control the production of hormones from your gonads. So if you have ovaries, FSH and LH control estrogen and progesterone production. And if you have testes, then FSH and LH control testosterone production. Let's talk about the HPO or the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis. This is the axis that I talk about most of the time. This system is based on a month to month cycle. This is our menstrual cycle. So, what I like to think about is every month you have a group of eggs that come out of a vault inside the ovary, and each egg grows inside a follicle. The brain sends out follicle stimulating hormone or FSH, which is a well named hormone that gets a follicle to grow. As that follicle grows, it makes an egg, and that egg makes estrogen. And that estrogen feeds back to the brain and the hypothalamus interprets it, sends out less GNRH, therefore the pituitary gland sends out less FSH. Essentially, the brain says, hey, an egg is growing. I don't need to get pregnant with more than one baby this month. So I have sent out just enough FSH for one egg. Now I know that egg is growing because I can hear or sense that estrogen level. So now I'm going to send out less FSH." that estrogen rises as the egg matures. So as that follicle grows, the egg matures, and it makes more and more estrogen throughout the cycle. When that egg is mature, it makes a level of estrogen that's around 200 pg per milliliter for 50 hours. And once the brain has seen that, it then is going to change the pulsatile pattern of GnRH, and it is going to allow for a surge the first time your brain sends out LH or luteinizing hormone in the cycle. This LH then triggers that follicle to rupture. And when that follicle rupture, it bursts, the egg is released and captured by the fallopian tube. That's ovulation. The follicle then reforms and makes a corpus luteum. And that corpus luteum is secreted to make progesterone in pulsatile fashion from the brain. So GnRH is secreted in different amplitudes, which allows LH to be secreted in pulses, allowing the corpus luteum to make progesterone peaking and troughing anywhere from 3 to 40 nanograms per milliliter at any course or any moment in the luteal phase. And then what's going to happen is if you are not pregnant, the corpus luteum has an expiration date. It only lives about 12 days. It then stops making progesterone because it dies. And then your progesterone levels drop. Along this, what's been happening at the same time with this HPO axis, when your progesterone starts dropping, the brain gets the sensation like, hey, we're not pregnant, and I'm going to start growing a new group of eggs. So FSH starts rising again, trying to get the egg stimulated for the next month. The uterus does not make hormones, but it responds to them. So it's a hormonally responsive organ. So when that egg is making estrogen, the lining or the endometrium inside the uterus is growing. So you get this endometrium growing in response when you ovulate and you make progesterone that opens and closes the implantation window. And then if there is no pregnancy, that withdrawal or that drop in progesterone is a signal that it's time for you to have your period and then you get a menstrual cycle, you get your period. And then you start growing a lining all over again with the next egg. Now, we will often say that the period is your vital sign because you can't tell what's happening at your ovaries. But if you're getting a regular cycle every month, then you automatically know that your HPO axis is intact and functioning. Nothing else is going to give you a cycle every month. That is also telling you that the other hormones that come from that pituitary gland, close to FSH and LH, are functioning at least relatively normally as well. And that's because if they are not, you're going to see period changes. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Ritual's essential for women 18 and plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. I love Ritual and I love taking their essential for women 18 plus every single day. One reason I love it is that it's gentle on an empty stomach and it has a minty essence, so every bottle feels refreshing and is actually enjoyable. It's also clinically backed multivitamin with high quality and traceable key ingredients. And they have industry-leading sustainability standards. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Over is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. My closet has a tendency to get chaotic and crammed with a bunch of clothes that I don't really want to wear. What's been a game changer for me has been upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have a wardrobe full of luxury and classic essentials and I stayed on budget. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50-80% to less than similar brands, and they do this by partnering directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to us. In addition, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing and premium products and finishes. I personally am loving the linen pieces as it's Texas and summer is upon us. Indulge in affordable luxury Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. The pituitary gland's a limited space. I always think about it like a punching bag, like hanging down from the wall. And so if one area is overactive it's compressing the others. It's a set amount of space. And so a good example is when the pituitary gland starts making a lot of prolactin. That's another hormone that comes from the pituitary gland. Now, prolactin works for a variety of reasons, but it's mostly known as the prolactation hormone. It's the hormone that gets you to lactate or have milk when you're going to become pregnant. Now, when prolactin is being produced in excess, You can start to see something called galacteria or having leaky milky discharge from your breast, but you'll also see that it changes the secretion of the other hormones in the pituitary gland. So you can get thyroid abnormalities and you can get ovulation abnormalities. And there's actually well-described phenomena where we see abnormalities the higher that your prolactin gets. So a mild elevation is going to cause a luteal phase shortening. So your follicle is not making enough progesterone. It's a mild ovulation disorder. When you get to a medium level of prolactin elevation, you're going to see more severe ovulation abnormalities, irregular periods. And at high levels, you're going to have frank amenorrhea because the brain will no longer be sending out FSH to get an egg to grow. So that's a great example of how these pituitary hormones also interact with each other. Another one is something called functional hypothalamic amenorrhea. So you already heard me talk about how the hypothalamus is the main control center for interpreting your body's hormones. So what happens when it interprets that things are not good to get pregnant? That's really what this is. The brain interprets it's not stable enough to get pregnant. Now, this can be from a variety of reasons, chronic disease, low calorie intake, high energy expenditure, it can be from high stress levels, from medications, a variety of things. But the most common is some stressor feeds back to the hypothalamus. The body is chronically stressed and common ones can be some eating disorders or our athletes who are gymnasts or figure skaters, expending a ton of calories for your body mass. We've also seen chronic diseases, specifically like GI-based, like Crohn's or ulcerative colitis, new diagnosis of cancer. We've also seen just high, high stress levels going through a traumatic period of your life can cause your brain to shut down. So the hypothalamus interprets that your cortisol level is too high. And so in response, it is going to send out less GnRH and therefore not send out FSH and LH. So now you are not sending out the hormones from the brain to get the ovary to allow an egg to grow and develop and ovulate. Largely tied back to the idea that it is conserving our energy to try to help you heal or have the energy from the stressor. So you need to heal or you need to fight. It doesn't know, but you can't ovulate during that time period. And so it is diverting your resources to what your brain has deemed more important. One of the hardest things about FHA is that you can heal and it can take years for the brain to feel confident that the stressor is gone. Isn't that crazy? You could have anorexia, terrible disease. You go to recovery for it. You gain the weight. You're eating better. You're going to therapy. And your period may not return. Your brain may not turn back on your HPO axis for years after your recovery. And I find that's really frustrating for HA patients because they feel like they're doing everything right, but they're not seeing the end result in their period. And so you've got to understand that you got to give yourself grace. The brain is trying to do the best thing that it can, and it's trying to help you. But it really does take sometimes a very prolonged period in order to feel better. Opposite for prolactin, if there's a prolactin abnormality. You take cabergoline or bromocryptane, which are medications that lower your prolactin. Boom suddenly that pituitary gland is going to send out FSH more regularly and your regular cycles are going to come back. And we've seen this happen in studies. So the etiology of why you're potentially not having periods is going to totally determine what is going to be needed in order to make things normal or more balanced again. Even though we silo these organ systems out, and we say, okay, this is the brain, this is The ovaries, this is the adrenal glands, this is the thyroid, this is the pituitary. The the reality is they're all functioning together like one lovely puzzle at all moments of the day. And they're dependent on the others in order to act normally. And that's important because too often in medicine, we view one organ system at a time. That's because that's how doctors are trained, right? You can't just be an expert on everything. So you're going to become an expert on the heart and you're a cardiologist. You're going to be an expert on the brain and you're a neurologist, there's all these different medical specialties dealing with the different organ systems, but you have one body and it is interpreting your entire world around you, everything you put in it and on it and you're exposed to and you experience and it is responding appropriately. So when we talk about what is keeping these organ systems intact, it's really what is going to keep your body in the best level of homeostasis or balance possible. Your world is influenced by the things in it so food, we already know that leaky gut is a real thing, meaning your intestine is permeable. When you in, eat things that cause high levels of inflammation, it changes your hormone secretion. And we know that that can also predispose to autoimmunity. We know that when you have autoimmune disease, your body needs to heal from this in order to be in homeostasis. And so how do you do this? First of all, let's just think some basic principles of decreasing inflammation and understanding our body. We'll say number one, your period is one of the only outward vital signs of this. If your period's abnormal, you need to get medical help to see if you can find the cause. That may require medical treatment. Not everything can be cured naturally or with lifestyle, and that is okay. Number two, you're going to have a really hard time healing anything if you don't sleep. You need to sleep. You need to get at least seven hours of sleep per night. If you can't sleep, you need to do some things to help you sleep. Put your phone across the room. Take melatonin. Don't be on screens. Go to bed at an earlier hour. Stop watching TV. You need to think about it and figure out what's going to help you go to sleep at the same time every day. Waking up and going to bed at the same time every day, set your body in a good circadian rhythm, which is really helpful for For hormonal secretion, our hormones are made to be secreted at different times of the day. We also are going to want to look at how do we control what goes in and on our body. This is not brand new rocket science. Whole foods are always going to be better for you than fake foods, right? The foods that you can find in the world around you. Fruits, vegetables, whole grains, plant-based protein sources, lean animal meats. That stuff's all going to be better than processed foods artificial sugars, fruit sugars don't count those are nature sugars. Your artificial sugars, your processed foods, your fast foods, your fried foods. That's not real. Doesn't mean you can never have that stuff and I tell patients this all the time and I say this in my course and the enhance your natural fertility course. You are allowed to enjoy your life. You can eat anything and everything you want to. But I want to challenge you to make decisions each day that treat your body kindly so that you can enjoy the cake on your birthday and those other moments if you treat your body kindly with your choices most of the time on most days you're doing enough that doesn't mean this is all or nothing oh my gosh i ate the cake everything is lost but it means every single time you eat food you're making a choice and i want you to pick the kind of choice for your body The world around you with toxins, plastics are a huge one. You need to look at your world. How do you remove plastics? How do you remove BPA? How do you remove Teflon? How do you control what's in your products? That stuff matters. Endocrine disrupting chemicals are real. They have a really good name. They disrupt your endocrine system. Proven science. We know it impacts ovarian reserve, response to IVF and other treatments. So of course, it's going to impact your natural fertility as well. And then I want you to look at how do you decrease stress? And this is not a one size fits all. For most people, there's some exercise that's going to do it. But beware, some exercise can actually increase your cortisol levels even more like hit exercise. So what can you do to move your body 30 minutes a day, five days a week? Maybe it's three times for an hour you go for a walk. Maybe it's 20 minutes, various times. It doesn't really matter to me. It matters to you. But move your body. That usually is a big stress relief. And then what about counseling or journaling or meditation or mindfulness or talking to a friend or a walk with the birds or acupuncture or yoga? I don't care. You need a moment where you can feel, ah, that's that cortisol releasing. You've got to feel that sensation. How do you tap into that? That's a personal thing. And I want you to think about that. So this is a really basic primer on your hormones, super brief. There's so much more that goes into it all. I'm going to answer your questions in the FFS for fertility's sake, but I do want to say I have a course called the Enhance Your Natural Fertility course. We have over 200 members. It's a rockstar, awesome course. It is a self-paced progressive course where you can learn all about your body and your fertility. We have a private group and we have monthly Q&As where you can get all the support that you want about your body, your hormones, your health, your fertility, your lifestyle, And the feedback has been so amazing. I'm so glad everybody's loving it. If you want to learn more about that, you can go to nataliecrawfordmd.com and click on the button for the course. For Fertility's Sake is our weekly Q&A segment. You can ask these questions on my Instagram every week on Monday. There will be a question box or you can call in to the new voicemail line. So you can call 657-229-3672. That is 657-229-3672. And we are going to give priority to voicemail. So if you have a question, please call us out. And we will be answering your questions every Monday. And then we will do some Q&A topic episodes coming up soon with some of your submitted questions. All right, how long after a successful IVF would you recommend somebody try for number two? This is a common question and every clinic's going to be a little bit different. Our preference is to let your body heal. We wanna let you have as much time to breastfeed as you want. Breastfeeding does increase prolactin and as we just talked about, that can change some of your other hormones. But I usually like to plan for a transfer at the soonest one year from the birth month. So if you had a baby in December We can start some of the prelim work. So I usually like to see people about eight to nine months postpartum and get the transfer process lined up. We usually like to do that transfer one year to the birth month of your baby. Number two, best thing to do to prepare for an FET in a couple of weeks. You know, you need to start making those good healthy habits that you want your baby to be exposed to. We know that epigenetics are a big thing and that means that your body and environment when you're pregnant are going to control the genes that are turned on and off for your baby and set them up for a whole life of different risks. We also want you to have the highest chance of success with that FET as possible. So some of those things we just talked about for dropping inflammation, get sleep, find a good stress management system, start eating nice whole healthy foods, You do need to be taking a prenatal vitamin with at least 400 micrograms of folic acid. I also recommend vitamin D, at least 1,000 international units a day, and omega-3 fatty acids. That's going to be DHA and EPA. Many prenatal vitamins have those added to them. And I want you to be moving your body just because going through IVF and preparing for a transfer can be a very stressful process. I don't love you training for a marathon, trying to get your personal best right now. That's not the goal. The personal best goal you're shooting for is a pregnancy. We consider the steps before a transfer feed and breed, feed and breed, meaning nourish your body so it feels confident it can support a pregnancy. Not a time for a fast. Not a time to be starving yourself, restricting your calories. No, nourish your body with lots of those whole foods, variety of colors, lots of good vitamins and nutrients. Take that prenatal vitamin, move your body, do yoga, go on walks, be out in the sunshine. That's really what I encourage people to do because there's so much, even in the perfect world, you could do all the things right. You can't always control the outcome. Not every transfer is going to be successful no matter what. And very often there's nothing you may do wrong, but set yourself up for success. All right, two of nine embryos test normal after my first retrieval and I'm going for another. What questions should I ask my doctor? First of all, is this expected based on my age or was this greater or lower than you would have anticipated? That would be a really normal expectation if you're age 40 there would be a very abnormal expectation if you're age 30. So one, I want to say, hey, what would be normal for my age and what is this? Number two, were there any clues on what went wrong? Did I have a normal embryo progression through culture or did less embryos make it to the testing stage? Were some of the embryos the same genetic abnormality? Did I have any mosaic embryos? What can we do to try to improve my egg or the sperm quality? Are there supplements I should take? Are there changes to the protocol you would make again to try to see if we can get better outcomes? I just gave you a whole list of questions. So write those down and ask those to your doctor. One miscarriage and one ectopic. Should I continue IUI or move on to IVF I've not conceived in a year? Personally, I would say if you've had two pregnancies, both resulting in loss and now no conception in a year, strong consideration for IVF, especially since one of them was an ectopic pregnancy. An ectopic pregnancy is a tubal pregnancy. We have this conception that if you get a test and your fallopian tubes are open, that that's all they need to be, open. They'll get the job done. But that's not how simple it is. Your tubes have a function. They do have to be open, but that's the low bar. They also have to be able to move to help transport that egg. The egg and sperm have to fertilize there, meaning the environment has to be right, the right pH, the right nutrients, not toxic. And it has to help move that embryo into the uterus. So the tubes are really important. Having a prior ectopic is a big sign that the tubes may not be able to do the job. And so I would definitely at least have the IVF conversation and understand what the process is like with your doctor. Genetic carrier screening pros, cons, and thoughts. I am a huge believer in genetic carrier screening. So this is when you and your partner are screened with a blood test for usually somewhere up to about 200 silent carrier or autosomal recessive diseases. These diseases are things that you often have no symptoms for at all, but they are passed along in the family. However, if two people have the same disease and get pregnant, they might have a high risk of having a baby that could be severely impacted. Some of these diseases are life-threatening or completely non-survivable. And I've had patients with diseases you've not heard of, like bardet biedl or Pearson syndrome, and they have had babies they've had to terminate or they've had to bury after birth, and it's been a traumatic, devastating process. And if I could save you from that, I would. And the way to save you from that, and if you and your partner are both carriers for the same genetic disease, you're going to talk to your doctor about IVFs surely and solely for the reason of genetic testing to try to have the healthiest baby possible. And I have patients who do that. When you find out your co-carriers for the same condition, you are going to undergo genetic counseling so you can learn more about it. And then you can go through the IVF process and we can make probes to test exactly for where that gene is. And then we can know which embryos are either going to be silent carriers themselves or totally unaffected and do not even carry the gene. You can't make decisions on data you don't know. I say that all the time. So I'm a fan. This is one of those things where you don't want to play, I wish I had done it because the consequence could be quite devastating. So to me, this is a big pro, something I highly, highly recommend. All right, y'all, I hope these questions have been helpful for you. If you want to submit your own questions, again, you can go to Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and we put a question box up every Monday. We'll answer some questions on Insta and then some here, or you can call 657-229-3672. Leave a voicemail with your question, and we would love to answer it here. As always, appreciate you being here. Thanks, friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Indy. And check out the YouTube channel Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman.